The following episode contains material that may be sensitive for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is Loudspeaker. Welcome back for the second episode of my interview with the amazing Sarah Edmondson, who was in the Nexium cult for 12 years, was branded and scarred by women in the cult whom she thought were her allies and friends and turned out to be an initiation into a sex slavery part of the cult with Keith Ranieri, who was the leader of the Nexium cult. Not only was Sarah able to survive this cult experience, she became one of the instrumental whistleblowers who brought Keith Ranieri down and who is now serving 120 years in prison. On this episode, we talk about the psychological manipulation, gaslighting, and horrific schemes of a madman who abused, scarred, and possibly even contributed to the death of members in the cult. We also visit with Sarah's husband, Nippy, for a powerful segment as he shares his own experiences of being in Nexium and the lessons that have revealed themselves as the scars have begun to heal. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. I have a documentary that's coming out that we just yeah, got. To, yeah. We just got done What's with post-production. Well, it's, it's exactly this. It's called When Sparks Ignite. And it's about mm. how we go through these really difficult, challenging, and painful times. And that those often then can become the match point that ignites something within us. You know, that becomes then mm. the gift that we give to the world. Can't wait to see it. You probably got a hit of that then at the end of my book, which is something that I didn't even fully integrate till more recently. Like I finished that over a year ago. And only in the last couple of months have I been coming to terms fully with what that means, you know, that point where you can turn the darkness into light. Yeah. But I think like but what you're saying, there, there were some ways that you wouldn't have known how immense that light could be and how it's now sounding like it's being shown through as people are watching The Vow. And I imagine as people, you know, listen to and read your book that come back and go, oh my God, you have just saved my life. And honestly, I mean, that was part of, as I was listening to your book, I thought, oh my gosh, just there's so many things in there that if people caught mm -hmm. that they were in that kind of situation where people were doing that kind of gaslighting and were doing the kind of behaviors where you're not allowed to question, like, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Or how come we don't get to know? How can we have to sign disclosure statements before we talk to one another, you know, I mean, right. there, there were all these really interesting red flags. And yeah. I think when you're in it, we can't see it. Absolutely. You know, it's that thing of you can't see the forest, you know, through the trees. So it's like, yeah, you're so immersed in it. There's no outward perspective. And then they take that ability to get that outward perspective away from you. A hundred percent. By not being able, yeah, to talk to people that have left and, you know, and everyone that's left is crazy or the interesting connection to how a lot of people got sick and died. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, we don't even know yet. And I wouldn't be surprised if that comes out in some more documented way, but it just like 
all the, all these women were getting cancer around Keith. And I thought there was something in the water. I thought that there was like a toxic spill. And that was my first thought. And then as I woke up later and put the pieces together, I realized, I mean, either it's the own emotion of these women who are suppressing what they truly desire and what that does to your insides, which I do believe can cause disease, not all, right? Like yeah, yeah. some environmental, but sometimes this, it, it's like even harboring dark secrets can affect the body and like not being true to yourself and being, you know, actually in Nexium, we called it breaching your own ethics or an ethical breach. So I think there, that, that does exist in reality. You know, Keith used to use it in a gaslighting way. He's like, well, you're breaching your ethics by, you know, not being thin enough for me or whatever bullshit he was doing to his inner circle. But I think that an ethical breach can cause disease in one's body. And at first I thought it was that. And now there's evidence potentially of him poisoning people. It, basically the older women who he was trying to get rid of to bring in the new young women that he was with towards the end of his tenure as the vanguard. Oh, so God, that's so it's disturbing. Really, it's so disturbing. I can't even like, I, I, it haunts me. And I think that these women, the women, the two women particularly who died, I think they were onto him and they, and they were not okay with his behavior and, and yeah, I mean, nothing would, nothing would surprise me now to find out that Keith did. So he was just, yeah, evil. Such a sick, sick individual. And I, it was it your friend Beth that now I can't remember the, the woman's name that had gotten sick and you had gotten her in touch with like a natural oh, path, Barbara, yeah. Barbara with oh. someone like a holistic doctor and that she was actually getting better. And then Keith mm -hmm. sent that doctor away. Yeah. And we, the doctor said that he, Keith had his own protocol that he would like, like Keith is a cancer specialist now. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a tragic, I, I, I hope that there's some sort of justice for those women or that gets resolved in some way, but I, yeah, it's awful. Well, and Sarah, speaking of justice, there were two things that stood out to me that were kind of the pinnacles for you that started cracking things open. Mm -hmm. And one was when Keith himself said to you after you were, you know, cause you at oftentimes because you were an actress and you know, you, you were so good at what you did and you, you know, and you believed in it and that he said to you, you know, that, that this was really important because you were giving people the illusion of hope. Talk about how that struck you. Oh, when he said that, it, I just couldn't reconcile it in my brain. Like, I didn't even know what he meant until later. Like, illusion. It's not real. It was one of the few little cracks in the dam, which is something that I've since learned about. I think it was actually from Yanya's book. It's the same thing with an abusive relationship. People don't get hit usually like it's not one thing that happens and they're out. It's a series of events and you put the event on the shelf, you know, and you put another event on the shelf and then eventually the shelf gets heavy and breaks. And that was something that I put on my shelf. <laughs> I was like, you just say, couldn't even wrap my head around it, that he would be lying, you know, that this would be an illusion. And a number of other things, somebody sat me down, a friend of mine's husband, Pepe, who's in the book as well, saying, you know, what is all this media? And I would, I shared my training and this is, well, it's a, it's a, 
it's a smear campaign against this noble man. And if you understand that he's trying to put ethics and goodness out in the world, there's going to be pushback. And I really believe that. And he was like, well, the media doesn't work that way. Like they may spin and they may exaggerate, but they can't completely fabricate everything. Like it has to be based on something. And he said, what, what, what if 10% of it was true? And there was, and then I realized that all the things that I'd been told about these media things that have been come up against him in, in the public, I didn't actually know. I didn't, I wasn't, it was all what I'd been told, which goes back to what you'd said earlier, like the red flags and the, when I had questions and the intuition, if I would go to Mark or somebody else who was above me, who I trusted and said, what about this? Or like, it was always shared with me in a way that eventually I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. And I never thought that people would be lying because I couldn't, I couldn't project that onto them. Right. And, right. And, and that's what Keith really mastered. He mastered a, when I say charismatic, he, he created a template that people could project their, their beautiful aspirations for the world. And he knew how to shine that back to them. That was his most manipulative quality, I believe. So you started getting this crack that was like, okay, even if, if 10% of the media was true, then. Oh, yes. Holy crap. Yeah. What happened next? Yeah, there was, a, there, there was a number of cracks. I mean, I mean, definitely the probably the biggest was going through the branding experience, which I thought was going to be a tattoo. And funny you mentioned that about, you know, going across the coals. It was one of those moments like I'm going to go through this experience and everyone's doing it around me and I'm going to do it. We're going to do it together and it's going to be bonding and it's, it's going to be tough and I'm going to go through pain, but I'm going to come out on the other side. And if I had known that the symbol that they were putting on my body was Keith's initials, I 100% would have said no. So it wasn't the branding itself necessarily that woke me up, although it did create a crack. It, I, I went to a very disassociated place to go through that 25, 30-minute medical procedure without anesthetic. Dear God. Right? Yeah, which was like horrifically painful. I have to like not think about it too much because it's just too triggering. But going through that with not even the thing that woke me up, it was finding out weeks later that it was his initials. And talk about outrage. I was so outraged at these women who I trusted who lied to me about the symbol that I was putting on my body in a sorority, you know, initiation, meaningful ceremony. I mean, fuck you. I, I was so pissed. And it wasn't just about that. It was that, that they'd been lying to me for so many years. I was told that Keith, I mean, it's ridiculous to think now, knowing what we know, that Keith was celibate. He was some kind of renunciate monk who didn't need sex because he was so enlightened. Not only did he need it, he was having it with like 12 to 30 women at a time. Not in one, not in one time, but you know, like yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he had yeah. access to all, yeah, <laughs> he had access to all these women and uh, was teaching us about non-attachment and not satiating our desires. And it was just like the hypocrisy of the whole thing. It pissed me off to no end. And also that I had been walking around for 12 years touting this guy and endorsing him as this ethical, honorable leader. Meanwhile, he's the complete opposite. Not only is he the op opposite, he's like evil. 
and controlling people and locking people up and putting people on starvation diets. And I mean, when I woke up, I woke up like that. Yeah. But it was like, there was never me waking up and then going, but should I go back? It was like, once I, once I saw it, I saw it, but it took me months to put all these cracks together. I just got the chills as you said that. I mean, because like <laughs> Me once you woke up, yeah. I mean, there was no going back, yeah. right? Once the light was illuminating yeah. the darkness, there was no going back. And, you know, I have clients that come to me that have been in relationships with a sociopath. And okay. they- you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I dated someone, I hate to even say this, like 10 years ago, who was literally, I mean, he was lying to me the entire time. And wow. who would have known there was enough that was true about who he was in his profession and things he had done that I believed it. Thank goodness. I think it was about five weeks long when I started finding out. It wasn't like it was a oh, real God. relationship. We had just started dating. Yeah. But I've been, you know, in working with individuals who have had these, you know, for years and years and years with the sociopath. Mm-hmm. And when that truth gets revealed, I mean, and just how they would beat themselves up and say, why didn't I know? Why didn't I see these things? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that, you know, I say to some of these women is, you know, number one, you're not psychic. Mm-hmm. Most of us aren't psychic. Most people don't have that innate ability. And so we also, there's a part of us, we want to believe in people's goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when people are showing us, you know, hey, we're doing all these wonderful things for the world. We, we really care about you. We want you to be part of our family. I mean, they were hitting all these areas that light up our brain. and Love bombing. Are, yeah, love bombing. That is so true, right? Mm-hmm. When you said that term, I was like, yes, that's exactly what it is, love bombing. And so there's the hook, right? There's the hook. And so it's not about someone's intelligence or someone being so naive. Obviously, I mean, you're super intelligent. You are super successful. It's like you put your mind at like, this is something I want to do. I want to be successful. And as a, as a salesperson and someone that motivates people, how awesome, you know, I mean, it's like you said, trying to extract the goodness out of it. Mm -hmm. There's some really beautiful skills and things that you learned and at such a huge price tag. Yeah. It was a pretty, it was, it was a really huge price tag, but at the same time, I don't know if I could have learned it any other way. And the other price tag, which I don't think I fully integrated by the time I wrote the book, which, you know, you probably went on that journey with me as a, somebody they called my like me disease, you know, wanting to be liked, you know, when you, when you grow up publicly with something like this, there's a lot of people who don't like me you know, or don't like oh, how I did yeah. it or what yeah. I did or like think I'm a stupid victim, idiot, whatever they want to think. I've had to really overcome that issue (laughs) by just, you know, doing the right thing means that people aren't going to like me and I have to, and I'm okay. And that's something that you can't really, that's an experiential uh aha, right? Like you can't tell someone, well, don't, don't let it affect you. Don't let, don't take it personally. (laughs) Like how do you overcome that? Yeah. Yeah. It's not that easy. It's not just words, right? right? And you go, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll flip the light switch and now I'm not going to worry anymore what anybody thinks, <laughs> right. right? It just doesn't happen that way. And so 
how, you know, again, how painful, what a price tag. And in, in the most interesting way, that was your one of your initial issues. And I think we all have that issue of wanting to be liked to certain mm-hmm. degrees. You know, some people are better at it than others. And then to get to that point where I think I think we get there where it's like, OK, yeah, this is the truth about me. This is my experience. I'm going to live in my integrity. I'm going to live in my truth. Mm-hmm. And if that causes you not to like me. OK. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't need to be friends. Yeah. We don't need. We, it's all, it's all, I got enough friends. <laughs> I'm going to be okay without you, but I'll be here if you change your mind. (laughs) Maybe. Right. (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. You're listening to a podcast on the Loudspeaker Network. To find other podcasts and unique programming, visit www.loudspeaker.fm. Loudspeaker, diverse voices, unique sound. Hey, it's Stephanie. This week's Audible recommendation is an easy one. Everyone should read Scarred, the true story of how I escaped Nexium, the cult that bound my life, by our guest, Sarah Edmondson. In Scarred, Sarah details the 12 years she spent in Nexium, how she became a whistleblower that exposed the inner workings of the cult and her fight for justice. Just for listeners of The Spark, Audible is offering a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial of their amazing surface. So choose any book you want and cancel at any time. The book is yours to keep no matter what. Scarred is my choice for this week, but you can absolutely choose any book you like, and it's yours absolutely free. So give it a try at audibletrial.com slash the spark. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash the spark. Feminist Hot Dog is back with a new season packed with awesome interviews with icons, artists, innovators, authors, and lots of surprises. Whether you consider yourself a hardcore feminist or you're feeling feminist curious, tune in Wednesday nights at 8 Mountain and get all the information and inspiration you need to live your best feminist life. Listen Wednesdays on Loudspeaker and Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, love yourself and love your buns. And speaking of that, I, I have to mention your awesome husband, Nippy, who He's so great. I, I just love that through all of this, because he was involved in Nexium as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that the two of you and I had such an affinity for Mark. I don't know how I'm going to say his last name, right? Vicente? Vicente. Yep. Yeah. Love. I, I had this like affinity for him through this book and the way that you all bound together in the end to really get through this. Talk about what that was like for you. Well, we called it team takedown. (laughs) Mark and Bonnie and Nippy and I and Catherine and some other people peripherally as well. We were just very motivated. Can I get him to just say hi real quick? Oh, I'd love it. Can I get Nippy? I'd love it. Yeah, you got the cord and my husband. Cool. Hi, Nippy. This is my handsome husband. Hi, how you doing? Good. How are you? This is Stephanie. 
almost two hours. I know. I've been in the other room. Yeah, we're we're He's we're gonna wrap up in just a little bit here. I promise. I just Sorry. I've just been so inspired just chatting with your wife and and listening to her book and and just what a cool part you played in this whole thing. Of we were just starting to talk about when all of you with Mark started coming up with how you were going to take this all down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we made a lot of really good decisions in a short amount of time after 12 years of bad decisions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and you were drawn into all of this too. And if we, we had just said, you know, Nippy, that you were a part of Nexium as well. Were you aware of some of these things? Were you getting some of those same intuitive hits that something ain't right here? You know, most of it that, well, first of all, I'll preface it with anytime we went to Albany, it was always a drag. It felt like we were going to a wake. <clears throat> You know, it was always just kind of like, you know, it just felt like kind of like a low energy kind of atmosphere. But we went we went reluctantly, but also thinking that we were part of something big and it just wasn't working as well there. Little did we know we were returning every time to kind of the hornet's nest of the abuse. Mm-hmm. And so what we were seeing is people that weren't thriving, that weren't doing well, pretending that they were. And our conversations kind of the chatter in the background, you know, Sarah's commentary would often be like, what's going on with so-and-so? They don't seem well. And then we would talk to Mark and Mark would say, I think there's something going on X, Y, Z. A lot of people are on these diets and on these things that we all just peripherally just thought was weird and little things they were doing in Albany. But who was I to say how to live your life? That wasn't why I was there. You know, I was there for for different reasons. And if people's goals were to lose whatever pounds they were, I didn't know about the calorie restrictions and all that, but I, I thought it was there more important things to pursue, but that's not my decision. And so Mark and Bonnie, I think started to get the hit and recognize that they were in it. And then they kind of confirmed things. And then, you know, everyone started doing the math and ultimately it washed up in, 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 in my life in my family. And it was a pretty easy pivot for me. You know, I didn't need to have any sort of intellectual debates about the merits of whether we need to scar people's bodies as a means to teach them whatever he thought he was teaching them. So for, I told Sarah, if she had come home with as much as a mark on her elbow, it would have been in there with the same reaction. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't any, a hard decision for me. The only thing that I, you know, anticipated after that was just getting out, how we're going to get out, how big is this going to get in the media, how much is our lives going to be, you know, really turn into other people's entertainment. You yeah, know, I'm interested in that, and that was you know I went into a mode of just protecting my family, and and honestly, I was willing to kick some ass if I didn't, you know, if it was like, you know, I mean, honestly, like yeah. I was at the point where, okay, if we do this and we still get in trouble, I'm gonna go handle this in a way that gets attention because I I knew in my heart of hearts we didn't do anything wrong. The fact that I have to, my wife has to deal with this is what's wrong, and I am gonna do. I'll break every bone in my hand to ensure that people see this and this gets upheld. I wasn't going to stop until that was done. And there wasn't anything that was going to stop. There wasn't, there wasn't anything, a barrier that was going to stop me from seeing that was going to happen. If people weren't going to listen to us, I was going to make them. And that's not tough guy talk. I'm scared doing that. Oh, sure. But that's how, yeah. that was my conviction. I came to this. I was like, you're not going to, you don't get to do this. <laughs> right. You know, this doesn't. And so that was, 
that's just where I was for about six to seven months. I caught Sarah and I caught sniper mode. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, I'd say really it wasn't until about January of 18 where I really was like, I don't know if you've been in traumatic situations He's where you're like, yeah. So but even like, you know, even like when I was younger playing football games, when I, you know, when I would come home at night, the come down of playing in a football game was like, I would sleep for, you know, and I felt like it was, it was, it's kind of like a, an airline flight, right? You know, you, you know, you're going to make it, but it's, it's a lot of boredom spiked with like a little bit of turbulence that scares that a little adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. It was seven months of that, you know, and here and there we get a little bit more when things come out, it's, it's less and less and you kind of get acclimated to it because you start to recognize it and you get acclimated to kind of these hits. And I feel like, I can temper them and I understand them now and I know that I'm okay and it's safe. But when they're, when they're hitting you and they're hitting you like that constantly for seven, eight months there, it was just hard to, and have a kid and, and all that stuff. There was just, you know, I didn't recognize, you know, you don't know how much pain you're in or trauma you're in until it's gone. Right. You know? Oh, I do. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So, it, you know, as I've kind of started to get my legs back in my personal life, I look back and go, I was like, holy shit we really did go through like, you know, but when you're in it, you know, you're in survival mode and, you know, the human body is an amazing thing. It's an amazing instrument under those, under those conditions. And I also feel like if you have enough self-awareness while going through it, you get some valuable lessons. And I think we did as well. And, and I can honestly sit here and tell you, and I think I've been able to say this for about two years, I wouldn't change a thing just because, you know, where we are, how we've, evolved as people in it we got lessons that not many people get and not in that fashion we've been talking about that and slowly embracing those (laughs) and embracing how to talk about it and you know to be honest with you I, i find the whole social media thing just really like it's a difficult thing to know what to embrace and when because it's so toxic and I don't want to participate in that atmosphere and it's it's really mcdonald's for the mind a lot of it and right i just I just, you know, I, I, I'm mindful. I I will cautiously say no to things more than yes, just because, you know, I don't, I, it's dirty water and I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you know, like yeah. Well, and something that you said that, that really struck my heart was when you said, you know, about how things can be so sensationalized in the media. Yeah. And yeah, it's. And they're incentivized to do it. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, it's like people don't realize you know, and, and I am a trauma specialist, so I've done a lot of trauma work with people that have been through like such significant, you know, horrific events in their lives. And it's like, this isn't just a story. This is your guy's life. Sure. You know, these are real people. This is, you know, you and your family. And it, it's not just the story that's up on a screen. And, you know, people can really get distanced from it as well. So I, I guess that's something that I think is really important to point out is just like the human element and impact of this, you know, that it's not just this three ring circus for people. Which is a single reason I agreed to even participate in anything, you know, and like I said before, it's difficult to ascertain who, what, and where is going to ask what, but Kareem and Jahan, I, they're the ones who make for, the vow. For, for the, the makers of the vow for whatever reason, you know, I just wrote, something to one of the producers divine intervention or dumb luck doesn't matter to me those two had the requisite empathy to tell our story and wanted to tell it and as opposed to lots of offers coming our way 
for for money, which yeah. we didn't want to do. Because honestly, let's say you you're three years, you've told the story, you have maybe half a million dollars in the bank, but they didn't tell your story right. Yeah, and you're and you're, and you're kind of put in a news cycle and you're spit out. That's that's not worth it. But if you tell your story right and you align yourself with people, with what I think is a dimming light. People that want to imbue things with empathy and light and all those things. You need to align. Those people need to get together. They need to get together in a, right now. Absolutely. To help shine this light. And I, and that's, um, one of these yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I believe that. Sarah said you're one. Yeah. Sarah said you're one of these people. And I said, yeah, I mean, if you're interested in trauma, mm-hmm. I mean, I think really, you know, the social media spikes people's trauma. It's designed to. It's designed to hijack it and trigger it. And if Some that's, what, if that's well, you know, a lot of it right now, it, it's working. Yeah. Whoever's, yeah. Spi- whoever's spiking the system right now has people divided in the streets strategically and, and understanding how that mechanism works, understanding yourself is important. And hopefully our story ushers that into the forefront. And hopefully, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not arrogant enough to say that I'm the person to get up there and, 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 you know, I, I have a little trepidation around it and I'm scared to do it and all that stuff. But I also think, hey, if no one else is going to do it, at least I can just, you know, put my two cents in there so that, you know, other people can, you know, find their legs and <clears throat> do what's right. You don't see a lot of people even inspired to do that right now. So totally, I don't know. I mean, hopefully our story contributes to that and we, we meet more people that want to do that and we can continue what we thought we were doing in the first place, which is shining light if you want to use that language no but but no i'm so into that because my personal mission was to bring as much love and healing to the you know the world as possible and that's one of the reasons i resonated so much with sarah's story and both of your journey is i could see where you could get into an organization like this for sure and if it aligns with that purpose yeah exactly you know? and that that's what you think you're you're bringing into the world and that you know you're you're healing yourself and then helping others to heal Hell yeah, I, I totally see where this could happen. And and so I'm I'm less aligned with trauma and more aligned with the light and wanting to help bring that through in whatever way that we can. And so yeah, that's why I so appreciate that. Yeah. I so appreciate you guys, you know, being on this journey. I'm I'm so blown away by just both of you, your your ability to look at this situation and say, Yeah, I wouldn't change anything. Like the, and, and I think, you know, of my own wounding or the things that I've gone through and the clients that I've worked with, you know, that, that it's often like we were just talking about, Sarah, you know, those wounds can become then what later become the gift that we help bring to the sure. world. So what, yeah, what an important, for sure. Just keep pounding. <laughs> Heck, our, yes. Our, we, our, the media around the Ames house is negative and deposited. <laughs> I love that. And, and there's that Rumi quote too. The wound is where the light gets in. I think that's, the, I may be butchering it. No, but I love that. Thank you, Nippy. So awesome to meet you. It's great meeting you. I'm glad, glad we're talking. I love when he does little guest appearances. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He is awesome. He is awesome. He's so great. really curious, you know, as Nippy was saying about being selective about who you choose to do your interviews with, what made you choose to do it with me? That's a good question. I think, I mean, my first intuitive hit, and that was 
to go back to your question from the beginning, what's, what's my healing? And my healing is largely reconnecting with my intuition. So just even the name of your podcast intuitively was positive. And then listening and honestly, sometimes it's just the, like hearing someone's voice and the way they ask questions and what's the, what's the mission, what's the outlook, what's, you know, what's, what, what are the nuggets you're trying to reach, uh, get to your audience and are they in line and does that feel right for me to share my story with? So all of those things said yes. Mm, yay. I'm, I'm so yay. thankful. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad. You know, the, the last question I want to ask you and, and, then, and then we'll wrap mm-hmm. up the interview is sure. last October when Keith was sentenced to mm-hmm. 120 years. What was that like for you? How did that impact your healing? Well, first of all, I was sitting right here being interviewed for season two for The Vow, and we got that news. And it was very surreal. I couldn't quite wrap my head around it because we were hoping for life, right? But even with life, there's always room to get some time off or, you know, with good behavior or whatever. When I heard 120 years, I felt a real sense of finality that we were safe. And even still, there's a little bit of like, you know, he's got his inner circle that are his flying monkeys, right? His his enablers who can go off and do things, which I don't always feel 100% safe until everyone's woken up and not doing his bidding. But generally felt very safe and felt vindicated, felt like, you know, all of this work had finally come to a result that we could feel so good about and so feel so much relief and oh god it was just yeah it was a real ribbon around the whole thing just a boop, it's done yes and 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 at the same time it's not totally done. like there's still there's still three four four other people to be sentenced okay so it's there I'm, it's 99 percent done but in terms of like you know keith being taken care of and and the world seeing you know, the truth about who he is, is very final for me because that was, that's always been part of the, you know, the, the cult closed loose looped system of logic is that there's, there's always that trigger in my head going, well, like, what if I'm wrong? Like, what if this is good? Because that's how he trained us to, to question ourselves and to not have finality in our own ability to analyze things. So just to know that like, <laughs> the judicial system did its job and found all this evidence and proved it. And it's not just something that I created in my mind is felt very final for me. Yeah. God, how, how beyond (laughs) validating that must've been. Yes. Very, very validating. And, And at the same time, very sad too, because the stuff that came out in the trial was horrific and way worse than anything that I went through. And a lot of people's lives were damaged. So even though it was, it was a positive moment, it was also the recognition that, you know, a lot of people have been very hurt. So there, it was a real mixed bag of emotions. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine. So Sarah, from, from this point on, how do you see this healing journey for you? What, what does this look like? Well, I don't totally know. And that's something that I've come to terms with is that it's okay that I don't know. And that um, recognizing that I've, that my purpose in terms of exposing this, this monster and, you know, my role in that is that now that that's done, I can 
do the things that really just are joyful for me and that I can be with my kids and not feel like I should be building a company or, you know, going, going, going. I don't have to, I don't have that same pull anymore, but I can just be and continue on my self-development journey without the toxic shit. Yeah. <laughs> and to keep shining, keep shining that light for people because I think that it's the only way that I can move forward feeling like it's the, it's the best possible outcome that I can, I can now help others. And whether it's helping them get out of cults or helping them avoid the, you know, the pitfalls and not get in in the first place, which obviously would be better. I have this template now and I can share that. And it's pretty paint by numbers once you understand what it looks like and just continuing to talk and shine and do things that bring joy and continue healing. So that's, that's what, that's as far as I can see right now with COVID, it's hard to imagine travel or anything like that, but it's okay. It's allowed me to just be still and meditate more. So I look forward to joining your meditation circle. Yeah, I'm excited as well. And it's that thing of just allowing yourself to be a human being for a while, instead of like, we always hear this classic, you know, you don't need to be a human doing right now in your life. Mm -hmm. You can just be a human being and really finding you even more deeply in that place. That's, that's beautiful. So that's the goal. <laughs> that's awesome. If there's any essential yeah. message, Sarah, too, as we're wrapping up, what is what do you want to leave listeners with? Uh, great question. A couple things I would say, you know, if if you are a seeker and and you're on this journey, that there's lots of great tools and methods out there. Do not devote your life to one particular one. There, there's lots of ways to to reach joy, enlightenment, divinity, whatever you want to call it that you need to find your own inner authority and and that journey, that introspective journey, like find people to help you and lead you and guide you, but not hand over your authority to them is one major nugget. For those people who are listening and maybe find themselves in such a situation with a person or a group, an organization or whatever, that there's tons of resources out there to help you get out and that you can and that it may feel very scary to leave and that dependency is is very can be very paralyzing but once you see that there's hope and that there's light and options that that you can get out and thirdly the importance of standing up against this stuff is like this is the time it's there there's no room for it in this world anymore and it's i feel like there's this uprising of people speaking their truth and telling their stories I will say it's it's just early days, but I'm working with a number of people in this cultic abuse recovery field, and we're starting a, a hashtag I got out movement, like hashtag me too, Love for it. people to tell their stories, yeah, and to not feel shame about whatever thing they got caught up in and and removing the stigmas about those things. So I feel like it's a new era, and when you stand up against abuse of any kind and say, this is not right. It's, it, it, it helps it. it will, hopefully it will stop, but it's the, it has to happen. And that also will be self-defining and builds character. So I, I encourage people to leave, to speak their truth and to know that there's hope. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah, <laughs> for, for shining your light of hope um, and sharing it with all of us. So awesome. Thank you. Thanks for giving me the the space to do it. (laughs) 
What a powerful episode. I have to tell you, after reading Sarah's book and then doing the interview with she and Nippy, after I got out of the studio, I sat in my car and just cried. When we hear these stories, they can be so sensationalized and we see the tabloids or we see part of the show and we can feel really intrigued with the macabre and and not being able to believe that something like this could actually happen. But when you really are looking face to face and looking in the eyes of these amazing people and feeling into their hearts of what they went through and what happened, it really takes it to a whole different level. This has been just such an amazing episode and I hope that People that are listening, if you are struggling with trying to identify whether the organization you're with or not is a cult, I hope that you were able to get some guidelines from what Sarah shared so that you can do the necessary things to get yourself out of that situation. I know that that's one of she and Nippy's purposes now and sharing this information hopefully helps give us all a new awareness and how easy it is truly to be manipulated by these kind of people and the importance of really checking out the organizations that you're involved in. Even though it might feel good, trust your guts. I keep thinking about when Sarah shared that she would get this gut instinct about not taking walks with Keith Ranieri when she was in the cult and how important that was, that little voice that we hear inside that says something's not right here, something doesn't feel well, or this is against who I am. And and I have to say, these people were so masterful at gaslighting and manipulation that it sounds like it was almost impossible to even trust your intuition. So the biggest thing that I can say is Keep the conversation going. Talk to friends, talk to people, talk to therapists, your support team. When going through anything that starts to feel uncomfortable like what Sarah went through. I am blown away with her bravery, with her warm and loving heart, and truly the joy that was emanating from the two of them as they discussed the life lessons that they have learned and the strength to move on and do something of meaning and purpose with their experience. Sending love and warmest wishes out to all of you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for being on this powerful journey together where as we learn and grow and heal, we can truly ignite our best lives. I'm Stephanie James. This has been a production of Loudspeaker Networks. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.fm.